highlight of the year for me was at the leaders conference when we had our kind of prayer meeting yeah, yeah. and you got people to text in their conversion stories oh we didn't know what we'd get from that no, no. i think we got you know in the space of about 10 minutes more than 400 remarkable stories from our yeah. churches of conversions Hello and welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. My name is Adrian Reynolds. I'm the head of National Ministries for the FIEC, and I'm joined today by John Stevens, who is our National Director. Hi, Hello, Adrian. John. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it's Christmas time, and it's time, therefore, for our review of the year. And when we say review of the year, we mean 2023, just in case you're listening on Dave, and uh, you know, you're kind of catching up in three years' time. This is 2023 we're reviewing, and we're thinking about our our family of churches that is the fellowship of independent evangelical churches because there's so much to encourage us mm. um, but also some challenge we wanted to reflect on the year didn't we and just think about it john i like to think of this as a kind of cross between jules holland new year kind of hogmanay party and one of those christmas specials that you and i probably remember from our youth don't we um two ronnies were you a two ronnies or were you a Morecambe and Wise family? Yeah, we were a BBC family, so two Ronnies. Two Ronnies, okay. So um, if, if you're a bit older, Flanagan and Alan, I don't know how far you go back. Actually, I was picking up on the news, so there was a story about controversy at the BBC in 1978 that bought The Sound of Music, which cost them four million at that stage. I remember very vividly, my parents had obviously loved it as a film. So 1978 Christmas, being forced to watch The Sound of Music. Oh dear. Um, well, we did think of dressing up in curtains today. <laughs> That's a sound of music reference for those who want it. But um, we're just wearing our standard FIC uniform jumper. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the year. I mean, it's basically been first full normal year since COVID. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the regulations and rules were only kind of abolished in sort of February uh, 2022. It's so, amazing to think about um, that, isn't it? That just it seems is. like an age um, ago. So, I mean, obviously, kind of churches were back meeting in yeah, various ways yeah. and doing things before yeah. then. But yes, I mean, it, it's it's not much more than a year and a bit since um, a kind of we were returning to a degree of normality. And I think actually churches have taken quite a long time to recover and get going. There's right. been significant yeah. change. So I think we always said it would take a much longer to recover from the crisis than um, maybe people thought. I mean, very often rule of thumb, it takes as long to recover as the crisis lasted itself. Mm. And I think regathering churches, rebuilding those relationships, restarting ministries, there's been lots of turnover in churches. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the great encouragements to me as I've travelled around the country and preached to quite a lot of churches has just been stories of growth and quite significant Well, let's growth. explore that a little bit um, because um, I, I think if you had looked at the whole situation dispassionately from a distance, you might have said coming out of COVID, that's going to strip away all the dead wood on the edge of church. Actually, church is going to be smaller, a bit more focused, um, perhaps kind of a bit more introspective in the sense that, you know, we're just kind of licking our wounds a little bit post-COVID. But actually, most churches are reporting that's not the case. The opposite is the, tr yeah. is the truth, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've got 640-odd churches. It is a bit of a mixed picture. So yeah. I think for very small churches that struggled with leadership, struggled to be able to serve people in that time, so more churches have shut um, right, and reached right. the conclusion that they're not able to restart and not able to function. Now, that might have happened anyway, and I think that's been sped up mm. by COVID. So there's certainly some smaller churches for whom it has kind of brought their ministry um, to um, an end. Um, but actually, I think the churches that seem to have come out of COVID really strongly and have thrived are those that are kind of medium-sized churches, where there was a really strong commitment of people to the church, membership, a sense that this was their church, that they owned yeah, it, yeah. and where pastors poured a huge amount of energy into serving people during COVID and taking care of them and taking, making the most of every opportunity to be able to continue to teach, support, care for, engage with, connect with. 
Um, those churches seem to have emerged from COVID in many ways stronger. Mm. Um, I think that for lots of those churches, they've reported to us significantly more conversions and baptisms than they've experienced over the last I mean, 10 you've, years. You've, you've, um, you've worked for the FIC for how many years? Uh, 13 years. 13 years. And we've both been connected with yeah. FIC churches for obviously much longer than that. It, 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 I mean, this is just anecdotal. It feels like churches are reporting more conversions than I ever remember. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not revival. Yeah, yeah. But, but is that, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so the growth rate we've kind of observed over recent years has been not much more than about a 1% kind of growth rate. Right, and there just seems right. to have been slightly more than that in yeah, terms of yeah, the numbers of yeah. people. But also, um, remarkable conversions. I mean, I think the highlight of the year for me was at the Leaders' Conference when we had our kind of prayer meeting. Yeah, yeah. And you got people to text in their conversion stories. Uh, we didn't know what we'd get from that. No, no. I think we got, you know, in the space of about 10 minutes, more than 400 remarkable mm. stories from our yeah. churches of conversions. Um, many of which were extraordinary in terms of the way that people turned up at church, clearly seeking, heard yep, the gospel, right. believed. Yeah. Um, God seems to have been at work in some remarkable yes, ways, yes. is what yeah. we've been I hearing love, from I love churches. the stories where people have been um, praying for someone for 40 years, <laughs> and they'd become a Christian yeah. age 79 or 80, and you say, actually, that's just... All those kinds, I mean, there was a great variety of stories there. We, maybe we should find a way to try and publish some of those stories and, and anonymize them appropriately because there's just a great breadth, isn't there, yeah, to, yeah. to church's mission and evangelism? So, so I think you've got that growth of people being converted. I think in many churches um, through COVID, they did lose the fringe that they had yeah, yeah. during the COVID period, but actually those fringes have begun to be reestablished um, mm. afterwards. So that's that's kind of recovered. Um, and certainly my experience for quite a lot of FIEC churches, they've also seen um, considerable transfer growth to the church. Well, let's talk about that. because um, that's uh, So when I was growing up um, and when I was first a minister, I was told transfer growth, bad, conversion mm. growth, good. Yeah. You know, very sort of black and white. And I, I can understand what was meant by that. You know, if someone is just church hopping and moving from church to church, you know, for us to count that as as growth in the church is is, is naive. Mm. But actually, there's something else going on now, isn't there? Because we, we're seeing people, uh, we're seeing this in, in the church where we serve, we're seeing people leave essentially liberal denominations mm -hmm. and, and because they want, they have a thirst and a hunger for, for, for good Bible teaching, for, for strong yeah, fellowship, yeah. all those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, how we approach transfer growth, I think we have to recognise an awful lot of ministry involves transfer growth. Yeah. That actually in the, what you might call the ecosystem of how evangelicalism and conversion works, people move, they move jobs, they move home, they go to university, um, they don't stay in the church they're converted in. People are moved around the country. Most people still become Christians before the age of 21. So where they're converted may not be then where they live. So in lots of churches, there is a transfer growth, which is simply a normal part of people mm -hmm. moving. Um, so even our own church in Market Harbour, very few of the people are converted in the church. They've been converted elsewhere, grown up in churches elsewhere. They've moved here. They've become part mm -hmm. of a church here. That That's not a bad thing. That's actually part and parcel of life where more fewer and fewer people stay in the community in which they've grown up um, and most people will move several times in the course yeah. of their life so there's a there's a naturalness to a sort of transfer growth you're right there's the slightly different kind of choosing to go to a church in the same town kind of leading to go to a different mm -hmm. church the danger of a consumerism of getting exactly what you want and not being committed to people but I think you're right at the moment there is a transfer growth that is primarily people seeking out Bible-centered ministry. Mm. So I think what happened in COVID was a lot of people in sort of churches, when, when the church was no longer meeting, um, it, it gave them the opportunity to reflect on their church, whether they were content with their church. It's very difficult to leave a church when you're there week by week and part of the body, but easier not to go back. 
And I think for a lot of people, as they could see the drift in their church, particularly from Bible ministry, particularly over issues like same-sex marriage, which is then compounded by the decisions of denominations and individual groups to kind of affirm same-sex relationships, they basically didn't want to go back to churches where that was the drift. And so we've seen churches that have had um, sort of people moving because they've been looking for Bible-centered gospel uh, kind of ministry, quite an inflow of people who've left the Methodist church over that. Um, uh, in some instances, people kind of choosing to leave the Anglican church over kind of the direction on, on same-sex relationships. People just looking for yeah, a biblical yeah. ministry. And actually, it's not just FIEC churches that have grown in that way. Actually, a- evangelical churches of other denominations and groupings have experienced um, the same. And I think in some ways we can say that COVID has led to a refining of the church. And, I and think a realignment. It, a realignment. In, yeah. in many cases, I think a, a strengthening of faithful gospel mm. uh, kind of ministry. And one of the challenges for leaders is how to build on that and make the most of that. Well, also uh, how to, to integrate come. people into church. I yeah. think this is a challenge, isn't it? So my, um, got a, I've got a family member um, who was in a, a BU church. Uh, BU church um, decided they were going to do same-sex weddings. And so a group of people left the, the, this BU church en masse. You know, 80 people left. And a large chunk of them joined a, a really the only other viable local evangelical church. It was actually an HTB plant. And you suddenly, you know, if you're a church leader and you suddenly get 50, 60 people come from another church, or even, in, you know, if you're a smaller, medium-sized church like we are, two or three families, suddenly the dynamics change. Um, you might find, um, so this this family member was saying to me, I hadn't realised how little um, I, I knew, really, until I went to a church where the Bible was being taught. So you, you suddenly got just not just a realignment in terms of where people are attending, but the cultures they're bringing, the Bible knowledge they have and experience they have, the way that cashes out in life. So there are actually some, some, both some deep challenges for church leaders, but also some great opportunities to, to challenge our own Cult, church culture, which we perhaps don't quite see when we're in the middle of it, isn't isn't that right? I think that's right, and I think that makes many church situations um, almost like a revitalisation or yeah, a replant. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, the numbers may be there, but it's not the same group of people. Um, they don't necessarily know the culture of the church. They don't necessarily know its vision. They're not necessarily connected to the people. No, no. Um, the, whether they're then able to serve in ministries. So I think for churches, sort of in a sense, envisioning people, training them, equipping them, re-establishing teams. Um, I, I think I think actually the pressure on pastors to be able to kind of um, reshape the life of the church and bring the church together and give a, a common vision um, is actually quite demanding of pastors at the mm. moment. They can't simply start where they kind of left off. Because it is it is a different group of people. And I think for much of this last year, actually, that's what church leaders have been doing. They've been kind of drawing their congregations together, getting to know people, reestablishing things uh, kind of slowly. Um, and yes, it, it is both a challenge and, as you say, an opportunity. Um, and we always said that one of the consequences of COVID is everything had to stop. And therefore, it, it, it's an opportunity to decide what should start. Um, and it's given churches the opportunity to say, Um, given our limited resources, given our people, what is it that's core to our ministry and what is it that we uh, we kind of need to do? Now, now we're also seeing, aren't we, in in FIC churches, an increasingly healthy diversification, Um, both in churches that are joining FIC and the places where they are, places that churches are reaching out to, and even in the uh, makeup of congregations in long-established churches. We're seeing a a, a broadening. We're seeing churches, I think, that are more reflective of the area where they are. That's not, not entirely true there are some areas where that's that's conspicuous by its absence but that is that is another trend isn't it that we're seeing a, a broader 
diversity in our FIC churches, which is something to really thank God for. Yes, I think so. I mean, historically, FIC churches have been across a sort of a social spectrum of contexts yeah. since 1922. Yeah. So at one level, there have been churches in a wide variety of um, areas. But I do think there's been a real desire over the last 10 years, not simply to be a movement of middle-class suburban mm. kind of graduate uh, kind of churches, which is the great danger for evangelicalism. Um, and that's shown itself in various ways. That's shown itself in the commitment of um, uh, sort of the desire to plant into estates, council estates, schemes, um, ministries like 20 Schemes, ministries like Medhurst have yeah. done a great amount to kind of encourage people to be planting into, into those contexts. Uh, and of course, actually, the, the growing ethnic diversity of the UK um, again, is beginning to be reflected uh, kind of in churches. The growth in our churches very often it has been through refugees, it's been through Iranians, it's been through people from There's some extraordinary different, different stories of Iranians, really. Uh, yeah. And um, I'm just... More broadly, there is a great movement amongst Iranian yeah. people, isn't there? And I think FIC churches are, are benefiting from that as well. Yeah, and, and an influx of um, uh, kind of people from Hong Kong, Chinese. Yep, yep, um, yep. So actually a number of our churches have now started Chinese congregations and groups. Yes, I was at church recently. They have 80 um, people um, from Hong Kong, but, but, which is there. extraordinary. So I, I kind of think I, I visited and preached a church in uh, kind of Glasgow um, sort of earlier this year, which um, kind of over the last 10 years or so has radically changed in terms of its ethnic makeup. And now they translate the sermon into multiple languages mm, for mm. people who are there. And it's an incredibly diverse yeah, yeah. Uh, kind yeah. of congregation. And I, I think that is beginning to happen in more places. Um, it's certainly true that at the moment, congregations are more diverse than leaderships. Mm. It takes longer for people to be integrated into um, a kind of uh, leadership. We've had a small number of what sort of mono-ethnic kind of diaspora migrant churches join FIEC because they want to be part of us. And we're really delighted by that want to learn from that. Um, I think um, uh, areas of the country where you've got a strong uh, kind of Muslim or Hindu population, um, actually that's a massive missional challenge yeah, to reach yeah, out to those yeah. communities. And the churches are not especially reflective always of their community, but actually that's kind of uh, incredibly challenging mm -hmm. kind of mission work. And we need to, to, to be praying that God would be at work in those communities. Yeah. Um, I think lots of leaders would say, if you were to ask them, well, and we do ask them, you know, where do you feel weakest? A lot of them would say it's our church's evangelism. Mm. Actually, we are seeing growth. That's really good news. Um, it's, it's, it's often unplanned for <laughs> growth. It, it's people just appearing at the door. We found that, haven't we? Um, it's people transferring. Um, but actually getting our evangelistic um, heart going again post-COVID it is more of a challenge. And we, we've recognised that, haven't we? How, how are we helping churches, John, with, with when it comes to evangelism? Yeah, I mean, we want to help with evangelism. I, mean, I think I want to say, actually, I think most of our churches do have an evangelistic heart. Okay, yeah. They're preaching Fair the gospel. Yeah. They're wanting to share the gospel with friends. They're running toddler groups. They're running initiatives to connect with the community. I think when we say... Do you know, by the way, um, just, sorry, on okay. toddler groups, I must interrupt you. 75% um, of... Uh, people with toddlers attend a church toddler oh, group okay. in this country. Isn't that an extraordinary statistic? I mean, it's a remarkable opportunity. I, I got really. that from Ed Drew, um, okay. so I'm, I'm sure it's right. But actually, there is a great opportunity there. So I think yeah. loads of churches are putting loads of effort into evangelism. Mm. I think when they say they're not effective evangelistically, what they're meaning is they're saying they're not seeing massive amounts right, of okay. fruit from what okay. they do. And I think that is true. Um, uh, but I think we, we there's a danger of beating ourselves up too much. And actually, as far as I'm aware, across the country, um, actually nobody is seeing massive sort of um, growth. And, and, and everybody, given the gospel need around us, inevitably wants to say, we would love to see more. We'd love to see the particular people we know we care about yeah, being yeah. converted. But I, I don't think we should take away from the fact that actually churches are seeking to share the gospel. And it's not as if they're kind of sitting there in, a, in an inward focused 
um, uh, sort of way. So yes, we do want to encourage evangelism. And I think in many ways, we want to help people to be as effective as they possibly can be. And we want to encourage them to keep going. And we want to give them resources that will make it easier to be able to, be able to do that. And certainly for FIEC, um, uh, we have, have wanted to find ways of doing that. Um, and what we've done is we've entered into a partnership with Passion for Life. Um, Nick McQuaker has been appointed as the new director of Passion for Life. Passion for Life was a sort of a, a mission organising um, sort of entity which every four years encouraged churches to work together in a cooperative period of mission. But I think they've realised that there's a greater need for a, a sort of an all-round um, sort of encouragement of churches yep, in evangelism. Yep that actually churches need to be doing evangelism all the time. It needs to fit in with their routines. And actually, if we can harness the skills, um, uh, the, the passion, um, uh, the gifts of evangelists, um, uh, if we can produce resources of testimonies and stories, if we can help people to think about different sort of contexts in which they're trying to get the gospel across, um, that's a key way of serving mm -hmm. churches. And rather than trying to replicate that ourselves, and we've been said, decided that it would be better for us to partner yeah. um, to be able to serve both FIEC churches and gospel churches more widely. I had a day with Nick McQuaker this week, which is hugely encouraging just hearing about some of the plans. Um, there is still going to be a national push for something in 2026. But actually, the shift is very much towards how do we encourage local churches in evangelism? Um, and some of that is by telling stories. We need to hear stories of what one another are doing, um, especially some of those kind of low key things that just are easy to do, easy to put on. It doesn't need to be big tent evangelism all the time. But also listening to Nick talk about how um, the, the plans are in place or getting in place to energise leaders, to train evangelists at different levels. I think that's a really important part of it. Um, so actually, yeah, hugely heartened by that partnership, and I hope it's going to bear, bear lots of fruit. Um, one of the things that Nick was saying to me, and I think this is right, is um, the success in evangelism is often about building meaningful connections they're trying to move away from saying collaboration and evangelism is putting on joint events because mm -hmm. sometimes it just doesn't work. But actually um, connecting people together, maybe if they're in a similar context, you know, you're in a rural village, here's someone else who's in a rural village who's, you know, done this and, and been successful. Or you're in a university town, here's someone else in a university town. You're in a scheme, here's someone else on a council estate. It's those kinds of connections that really add value. And we find that in FIC, don't we? Actually, one of the things we're there to do is to build connections mm -hmm between churches, which are not necessarily just who's next to you, but actually in a slightly wider geography or in a slightly wider context. And that's something that we can really help with, isn't it, in terms yeah, of connections? Absolutely. And, and we're trying to build those connections really in two dimensions. So um, you're absolutely right. People who are in similar contexts have much to learn from each other. Yep. And I think actually understanding a context, being able to understand the culture, um, uh, the kind of expectations of what it's like ministering in that particular kind of culture, um, ideas for what is effective ministry, there's huge benefit and the encouragement of speaking to others in a similar situation to yourselves who understand you. Yep. So we want to build those links between people in um, similar situations. Yeah, yeah. But yet at the same time, um, if you think about a city or you think about a, an area of the country, in, in any particular geographical region, you probably have a multiplicity of contexts. Mm -hmm. So you might have a city, it might have a university, it might have sort of deprived estates, it might have ethnic areas, it will have sort of suburbs, there might be surrounding market towns, there'll mm -hmm. be a rural context. So actually, if you want to reach an area you need to build, build connections between people right. ministering that's in right. those different yeah. contexts. And, and that's what we mean by essentially working in those two dimensions. Yeah. We want to yeah. equip people 
to be effective in ministry in the context mm. in which the Lord has put mm. them. But we also want regionally people to be working together to think about how they can sort of reach a whole area with yep. the good news yep. of the gospel. So we've if, been doing that for some time, haven't we? we in have. London and in Scotland, yep. we've had directors for London and Scotland who've been doing just that, trying mm. to build connections. And that's been hugely profitable and successful in those areas. So we're now rolling that out a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's many ways. It's what we've been trying to do for the past 13 years or yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, centrally connecting people from those different contexts. And then um, uh, sort of through the work of Richard Underwood, through the work of kind of Johnny Prime, and they were kind of working centrally in FIEC, helping to build pastoral connections with um, churches all around the country. And at one level, as our work's grown, we wanted to be able to do that even more effectively. Actually, uh, the Lord in, in his goodness has opened up for us both an opportunity and a vision to be able to establish a network of local directors who'll be serving in areas around the country. And with the goal of connecting the churches together, encouraging the leaders, um, helping them to keep plugged into FIEC. So in a way, we're trying to bring the fellowship benefits of FIEC closer to yeah, yeah. Um, the churches. Um, and we've been able to appoint a raft of um, uh, local directors um, thus far, a combination of some working full-time, some working kind of uh, part-time pastors who've been released by their church um, uh, to do that. Um, others who are retired pastors who are going to give us a, a sort of a number of years serving um, uh, in their area. So as you say, for some time we've had um, sort of directors in Scotland and uh, kind of London. We're delighted that Johnny Prime is going to be becoming our new director for London, taking yep. up that role um, uh, in 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 the new year when Trevor Archer retires, we're so grateful for all he's done. Mm. But um, we'll be delighted that Johnny will be able to build on that um, and take that forwards. But we've also this year been able to appoint um, Daniel Grimway to be our director for uh, Yorkshire. Paul Mallard is serving as a director in, in the West Midlands. Uh, Mark Housen is serving in uh, kind of Suffolk. Um, and Gareth Lewis is serving in, in South yeah, Wales. Yeah. And we're already feeling the benefit on the ground of the connections they're able to generate between the churches and the fact that they can go and visit a pastor, talk to a pastor, encourage a pastor. And rather, as we've hoped, what's beginning to happen is around the country and other places, people are saying, we can see that's really working. We'd love to have that because that would be a benefit um, for us um, as well. So in the new year, we're delighted we're going to be able to have a local director who's working in North Wales as well. I'm also down in Hampshire and Southampton. So another kind of two will be um, uh, sort of added. And our hope is that over the next couple of years, we'll be able to provide a sort of a national mm. coverage that really serves yep. our churches. Yep. I think one of the things, John, that I've been really encouraged by this year, just changing gear a little bit, is just uh, seeing FIC churches value the ministry of women increasingly. Um, I, I think we are constantly trying to think carefully and wisely and biblically about what it means to be complementarian. I, th I thought Linda's um, seminar at the Leaders Conference, which has just gone online in the last week, I, I was listening to it with my wife last night, the night before, I can't remember, um, just fantastic, really, really good. We'll put that in the show notes. That's really, really classy. And um, I think Graham Bynan, who's just joined us as our head of local ministry, has written an excellent book with Jane Tour about complementarianism. We're trying to work this out and we're trying to really make sure we value women's ministry. So I think seeing that thrive in FIEC churches is really heartening. We've got a way to go, haven't we? We've got a way to go. Um, but actually seeing that thrive um, in in churches, I, th I think that's that's really important part of our growth. I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think complementarian is under attack. It's yeah. clearly yeah. Um, under attack from the culture more widely that can't understand why you would have any differentiation between men and women in relation to kind of ministry. And it's under attack from within the church. Um, again, from those who feel that this is a way of depriving women of the opportunity to exercise God-given gifts. Mm. 
and um, uh, uh, points, uh, complementarianism, patriarchy has been misused as a way of kind of oppressing women. It has, women and we need to be honest about that, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've been trying to sort of, in a sense, work out what is a genuine kind of biblical model of the way that men and women um, can work together kind of um, in ministry. As a group of churches, we do believe the Bible teaches that pastors and elders of churches ought to be male. We think that reflects the biblical teaching. Um, but with that, that sort of um, biblical principle, we then think within that there's an immense freedom for women to be able to use their gifts in the service of the church. So we believe that women have teaching gifts, women have ministry gifts, women are able to engage in discipleship, um, and we want those gifts to be developed and to be used um, uh, to the fullest because we want to see our women in our churches, the members of our churches, being taught, being equipped, being trained, becoming kind of godly women. Um, and um, uh, we're delighted at the work of our kind of women's ministry coordinator, so Eleanor McGowan, who is looking after um, uh, the kind of pastor's yeah, she's, she's wives. She's more senior than you've made her. She's a director, a director okay, of women's yeah. ministry. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, sort of uh, Rachel Stone, also a kind of co-director of women's ministry, she who is, is kind right. of helping yeah. serve women's workers in churches. And we're seeing more and more churches kind of investing in women, appointing women, um, using women, um, uh, and training the, the, them. The, the, the Thrive Conference, which is for women in ministry, and then the Ministry Wives Conference, both of which this year will happen in, or next year, sorry, will happen in April. Really important. And if, if you're a male leader listening, do think about how you can free up uh, ministry wives if you have them in church, um, if you are married, um, your wife perhaps, if you're listening, or indeed uh, women who are serving in ministry. I think that's really important to get that fellowship and strengthening and and to know you're not alone, because that can sometimes be a lonely role, and that's actually important, isn't it? Yeah, and we're great that those conferences are growing yeah. and that we've needed to uh, kind of move to new venues have, yeah, um, right. and accommodate more people. Um, I think you're right, there are still challenges there. So I think um, in churches, it, it, it's about taking seriously that we want our women who are gifted and capable of ministering to be trained as well as the men. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want them to be properly supported for the ministry mm -hmm. that, that, that that they do. Um, uh, and so I think I think some of that has got to filter through into the culture. Mm. That is certainly happening happening much more in the younger generation yeah. than it was in a, in, a, in an older generation, mm. and that's a really positive and good yeah. thing. And I think if you've got people in church who could serve in that way, and you're thinking about it, you should think about using the hub. So the hub conferences yeah. are conference for those considering ministry. It's in the second weekend of January. Bookings are open at the moment. We got it going really again this year, 2023. 2024, we're hoping to press on. And I think the whole training landscape, we're slightly running out of time, John, but the whole training landscape is interesting because that has shifted post-COVID. Um, there, there was an article in um, Evangelicals Now just a couple of months ago saying there's no one training for ministry, basically. And the answer is um, there aren't many people training for ministry full-time in that classic model. That's absolutely true. And yet, I, I did a quick ring round, I think there are more people from FIEC churches training for ministry than I ever remember um, you know, hundreds. Mm. And, and that's that's really heartening. So the models are changing. And I think it's it's encouraging to see churches investing in training, isn't it? And we want that to push on, really. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, but I think those models of training were developing before COVID. It may yeah. have been expedited yeah. beyond that. So I think there is, um, there, there seem to be a, a fewer people who, certainly from an FIEC context, are heading into ministry through training at a residential college full time. I think that's both cost, that's life, um, I think that the pattern of how people head into FIEC ministry um, is slightly different. So yeah. I, I think that for many people who head into ministry, they've been actively involved for some time in the life of a local church. They've often served in the leadership of a local church. They've maybe been a regular preacher. They might have been an elder. And uh, over a period of time, they feel a call into full-time Christian ministry. And actually for people at that slightly later stage of life, 
Um, maybe you have family, you have commitments. The idea of upping sticks and going and spending three years full-time at a residential college is both financially um, uh, kind of difficult, but also actually doesn't easily work for them no, no. Um, and their stage. Especially so that, if you're then moving on somewhere else yeah. after that. Yeah. So, so models of training that enable you to train part-time uh, or to be primarily based in a local church um, have actually proved remarkably attractive yeah, to people yeah, coming yeah. out of a, a free church um, FIEC context. Mm. And I think it's that, how, how do you accomplish um, high-quality training that works um, for where people are in their lives? And I think, um, actually, the theological colleges increasingly offer part-time models that I enable do, a yeah, person yeah. to be able and to And those are the ones that be, are full. Be half-time. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, there are uh, a kind of other other models and courses that offer some element of distance learning, but some element of kind of community gathering, whether that be through Crosstons, whether that be through Union, whether that be through something like the uh, pastor's training course through Cornhill, kind of Scotland. So innovative models that are trying to provide high quality training that may take longer to accomplish overall, but can be done in, yeah. in situ. Yeah. Um, and as you say, I think that's actually proving remarkably attractive. It, mm. it fits with an FIEC perspective, which is the primacy of the local church. The theological college model um, was always slightly difficult to fit into um, the kind of the free church commitment that local church is where you need to be lo located and, and based. So, yes, the landscape has changed. Um, actually, I think more people are being trained and equipped than they were, I think that's they were right. beforehand. I think that's right. Let me talk a little bit about church planting because there's nothing that's on, on my heart um, to think about unreached areas. We've we literally got one minute to talk about church planting. I'm not quite sure how that works. I, I'm really delighted, actually, that in appointing uh, Graham Bynum to be our new head of local ministries, we've got a church planting expert on board. That wasn't the reason we appointed him, primarily. Um, but actually, it's it's a really, really good thing to have because we have seen church plants this year, and I think that's been encouraging. When we ask churches, are you thinking of planting? A large number say, yeah, in the next five years, we're hoping to plant, we're thinking of planting. Um, but the re reality is, wherever you go and you say to people, um, you know, wh what are the areas around you that need a church? Everybody identifies areas. Um, you know, I think I, I, there aren't places that are unreached in a, in a sense. I mean, there might be people groups that are unreached. I don't think there are places that are unreached, but actually there are places that are poorly served. The place where I grew up, South End, huge city now, 300 plus thousand, um, you'd struggle to find a decent Bible teaching church, really. And um, it, it's very poorly served, certainly given the number of people who live in live in the city. And I think even around us, we feel that, that there are towns around us which have very, very um, weak evangelical witness. So I think, we, you know, in terms of what's happened this year, it's encouraging, isn't it? We've been encouraged to see the number of churches that are thinking about planting, the number of churches that are actively planting. But actually, there's still a way to go. And still many needy places. We we've never quite had the, um, the the guts to reproduce fifty places. So we had these little cards. If, if you're kind of relatively new to the FIC, we had this little pack of top trumps cards, fifty places that we identified. A lot of research places where there was no evangelical church, and churches responded really well to those. Although inevitably, we discovered there were some churches in some of these places. But it's interesting. I, you could do that again, couldn't you? You could easily identify fifty places, new housing estates, growing towns, developing villages. Um, places where churches have closed or places where churches, the context has changed, that actually it wouldn't be 50 places now, it would be 150, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the scale of the need is massive. Yeah. I mean, if you think about yeah. the UK, we're probably 2 to 3% evangelicals across the UK as a whole. You know, FIEC in total is probably just short of 75,000 people attending uh, our churches. That is a tiny drop in the ocean compared to 64 million people yeah, yeah. Um, in, in the nation. And um, growing. 
And, and, and so actually, um, large swathes of the country will have very little in the way of uh, kind of gospel witness. Um, as you say, there are uh, sort of uh, huge new developments being built um, with the migration statistics. What is it? Something like a million new people a year yeah. moving yeah. to the UK. Yeah. So that the, there are more people, um, more housing, more places. Um, and actually, the only way those places are going to be reached in the long run is through planting local churches uh, kind of into them. So that's got to be a long-term strategy yeah, of gospel that's right. growth. That's right. Um, at the same time, it needs to go alongside church revitalization. So in some places, there are churches that are small or buildings that are in, 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 in denominations that are now kind of wanting to sell those buildings, that there are opportunities to do um, kind of uh, church renewals, church revitalization. Mm. So it's, it's kind of those two things both yeah. Um, yeah. go together. Yeah. And I yeah. think probably the key is that it needs to be a really long-term sustained gospel strategy. Mm. Um, so I think there was a period when church planting became the in thing. And there was a lot of talk about everybody's got to plant and you become church planting churches. And it's all, all the idea is it's all going to happen quite quickly. Um, and I think good good came out of that. But um, there's also church planting is, is resource intensive. It's people intensive. There's a danger of thinking that it can be done quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of churches that planted, and I would certainly reflect on this from my own church experience, um, it, it, you planted and then it took much longer to recover and regrow. So because we've got a relatively low conversion rate, um, actually, if you send a group of people out to plant, it just takes longer yeah. for the, the These church aren't one to grow. So, are so um, I'm, I'm absolutely committed. Church planting is absolutely crucial if we are going to reach the nation mm. um, yep. with the gospel. And we're, we're going to need to approach that in a sustained mm. way. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, I'm delighted that Graham and Jonathan Bond working with our smaller churches, I'm um, actually the vision of many of our church leaders to want to be planting in their region. So uh, again, it comes back to this connection we were talking about regionally. If, if local leaders are connected, then they're thinking about their area and they're thinking yeah, about they how are. they can That's plant. Right. I think there are more That's plants right. that are happening cooperatively. Mm -hmm. So a number of churches in a region are thinking, here's a place where there isn't a church. We couldn't any one of us do it alone, but together maybe we could support yeah. and establish a church plant there. Yeah. John, we're out of time. That's a good place to end. I've just got some quick fire <laughs> questions for you at the end, um, because I like to imagine you sitting by your, I know you've got a wood yeah. burner. I like to imagine you sitting there in your comfy armchair with your Santa hat on. I, I imagine you've had your tree up since mid-November, haven't uh, you? We haven't got a tree yet. It's my daughter's oh, birthday. It's the nineteenth of December, an, and we tend to such delay. Such an Ebenezer until after Scrooge. That. Me, I've been, <laughs> I've been chomping at the bit since the first of September with my Santa hat. Um, you know me, I love a gift. So here we go. Just a little bit of a, a review oh. of twenty twenty three. Um, best book you've read? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go for just one. Um, the books that um, I most enjoyed oh, reading. Um, I loved reading Michael Bird's Evangelical Theology. Okay, um, I read yep. through it. I, uh, I was just really. I, I was gripped by it at okay. points, um, made passionate, and I really enjoyed reading Gene Twenge's Generations. Okay. Good. I, I would add to that Mike McKinley's um, uh, Friendship with God, which we had as a stage recommendation at the Leaders' Conference. I, it did me a world of good spiritually, so I really commend that. And um, Best film you've seen. I know you love a film. We love a film, uh, yeah, the two yeah. of us. Best film? A number of films I've enjoyed and really enjoyed Oppenheimer. I, I've um, got Oppenheimer I've, uh, written really down. enjoyed a film called The Sort of um, Unexpected Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, which was a kind of British film. But my probably my favourite film was a film called The Battle Over Britain, which is a very recent, low-budget British film, which basically is a day in the life of a Spitfire station so in the I've, Battle of Britain. I've, I've got, yeah, yeah, low, I've got you down as low budget here. <laughs> low budget, slightly um, old fashioned. Yeah, okay. Oppenheimer, I loved. Oppenheimer got me thinking, yeah. which I think is a good thing if a film can do that. And uh, okay, so um, favourite, or maybe actually everything, everywhere, all, where, all at once. Have you seen that? No. The Oscar winner, 
Oh, that is that's a good film. Slightly does your head in. Um, best TV you've watched? Best TV. I, TV we watch to relax and enjoy. Um, I guess, well, that's okay. So uh, what have you enjoyed? Three, Well, three key things. I, I massively enjoyed actually watching on iPlayer Jacob Brunowski's Ascent of Man, which is a documentary from about 50 years ago. Which, <laughs> this is um, very deep. I, which kind of the history of... Christmas the, in the Stevens household must be a hoot. ...development of science technology. <laughs> I, I, I just really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, but the other things we've enjoyed, um, we really enjoyed watching the third series of Lupin, which is a kind of a French, um, uh, kind of on Netflix, which is just fun. Uh, actually, we discovered All Creatures Great and Small um, on Channel 5, which um, I just have loved enjoy watching and is kind of relaxing, calming. <laughs> enjoy it. You're a bit older than me, so I think that's probably why you enjoy all these things. I did write <laughs> I did write down Lupin. I really enjoyed that. It was on Netflix. Well, you got me into it. So, I did. Well, it yeah, is yeah. my fault. I also enjoyed Slow Horses on uh, Apple TV, which is just cracking. Really enjoyed that. I think because... Um, a lot of the characters are a bit contrarian, and I'm at yeah. heart a bit of a contrarian. I think I think there's a contrarian in, in every nonconformist. So there we are. I, I've enjoyed reading the Slow Horses books. We haven't got Apple TV, and I'm kind of slightly reluctant to watch it because I've got my own mental picture of what they're all like from having read the books. Well, Gary Oldman will do it for you. Great. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for being with us throughout the year. We've really enjoyed um, producing the podcast. We've really enjoyed serving you this way. I hope just reflecting on the year has been helpful for you. And, of course, as we think about all these things, what we're longing for, in 2024 is that the Lord will give the increase. We're longing for churches to grow. We're longing for people to be saved. We're longing for saints to be built up. That's our prayer. That's all we do, really. We're, we're there to serve churches and help churches with a view, really, to see the saints being built up and to see the lost being reached. So do join us in praying for that. And look out for the hub, um, as we said a bit earlier. We'll put the, put the link for that in the show notes and have a very, very peaceful Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you in the new year. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>